Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for the show. And today, uh, we're going to talk about something that I think is really, really important. And it's something that fits the, the the goal of this show, really, is to equip you, the listener, those who watch this show, uh, with a biblical worldview. And so we're going to talk about progressive Christianity and what to look for, and we got some other things that we're going to talk about in this episode. But just to make clear, we've been talking about the doctrine of Scripture and how it's under attack. And this this really utilizes this conversation, and it takes us uh, a little bit further along the road. In the past few decades, progressive ideology, specifically in regards to Christianity, it's skyrocketed. More and more people are finding that it has a much broader appeal than biblical Christianity, allowing it to fit into their lives in an easier way. Uh, But we need to ask the question, what exactly is progressive Christianity? And is it a threat to the Christian faith? Now, it can be hard to define what progressive Christianity is and what it's not. So we're going to talk about a few characteristics of it so that you can spot it. Because if you know what it is and you know what to look for, then you're more likely, uh, especially if you listen to this show, you're more likely to mark and avoid it. But you have to know what it is and you have to know what to look for so that you can mark and avoid it. Uh, my friend, uh, we're going to have her on here soon. She has a new book, Elisa Childers, summarized progressive churches as having a lowered view of the Bible. So feelings are emphasized over fact. Essential Christian doctrines are open for interpretation. Historical terms are redefined and the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. This is because... This is what Friedrich Schockemacher wanted to do and did in his theology. He's the father of uh, modern uh, liberal theology. He placed feelings at the same level as Scripture rather than Scripture interpreting our feelings. And the danger of that with Scripture running at the same level as my feelings is I have no way of being able to deal with my feelings. I have no way of telling myself, hey, this is actually the truth, and this is how God expects me to deal with my anger. This is the way God expects me to deal with my sadness. This is the way God expects me to deal with joy and happiness and all of these things. And instead, what progressive Christianity does is it undercuts all of that. And it places my feelings above the truth or even at the same level, which when you do that, when you place feelings at the same level of truth, you have a problem. 
You don't have truth anymore. Truth is an objective standard. My feelings are subjective. And so I need an objective truth, the objective truth that coming from God in the 66 books of the word of God to tell me the truth from God. And that's what God has done. He has specifically revealed himself in the 66 books of the word of God so that we have a binding and a trustworthy word. We have a sufficient word that we can trust and that tells us about the person and the work of Christ. And one of the things that's so hard about progressive Christianity is that it looks so much like biblical Christianity. You might hear a lot about the love of God, the cross, the power of God. But those who do not understand the theology of the Bible well might not notice the differences between biblical Christianity and progressive Christianity. And we're seeing this. We're seeing this with the rise of yoga and the Enneagram in the church today. Uh, This is just one more mention of it. Uh, But if you dig in and you see how they define the terms, uh, they're talking about something totally different than what you and I are talking about. What progressive Christians are teaching, it doesn't match up with the Word of God. That's why in Acts 17.11, Uh, the Bereans are commended for searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, they receive the word because they search the word. That's what it means to be discerning, to search the word and to receive the word Uh, because you've you've searched it, you've studied it, you've, you've dug in and you've found out what it says and what it means and all of that. Well, another, another person to bring this to bear is David Young, senior minister for the North Boulevard Church of Christ in Mercesboro, uh, Tennessee, which I, I probably hilariously butchered the, the name of that town. But he spoke in a podcast about progressive Christianity with David Hunziker, a minister for the multi-site church's West Campus, and said this, but sometimes you have to draw the line and say, This is how far we can go, Young said during the webinar. With concern for the growing movement, churches and faith groups that adopt this ideology risk not only departing for the truth of the gospel, but also declining membership, the minister said. Progressives sometimes say things like this. This verse doesn't resonate with me. And when they say this, they affirm that no verse can be true unless they feel it's true, Young provided an example. Now, this fits with what Elisa Childers has talked about. And as I was just talking about, how, you know, truth is to interpret our feelings. And when feelings become more important than facts, we are in the danger zone. In fact, Childers further explains that some of the comments you might hear in this regard include, I just can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell, or I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended gay people. And when looking at the Bible, though, it it says we cannot gain entrance into heaven through our own good works, and it's only through the redemption that we can enter heaven. Jesus may not want to send good people to hell, but it's a part of essential Christian doctrine. In progressive churches, a person's own world experience trumps what the Bible says. This is due to seeing the Bible as a book that can be discussed and debated rather than factual truth. They might even say the Bible contains portions of God's word rather than it being all God's word. So only part of it is correct. And in fact, they might even say, as far as I understand it, which that is a red flag right there. That just you just depersonalize the Bible. 
and you just elevated yourself above the Bible. Or, or even you could say, when you do that, you're making yourself the arbiter of truth. Which, if you think about it, here's God. He's the one who stands behind his word. He's holy. He's majestic. He's perfect. He's awesome in all of his ways, right? And so when we, when we commit, you know, relativism, which is my feelings, my truth kind of thing, boy, we, we are on a slippery slope. We've made the objective truth, the special revelation of God, that, that true north that God has given to us to point us to himself, the only way that we can know Christ and to know ourselves and know what, who and what God has made us to be is in the word of God. And so when we relativize the Bible, when we make it just another subject of our feelings or relegated to our feelings, we really undermine the Bible itself. And, and when that happens, what happens to biblical interpretation is we, we then can in, reinterpret the Bible however we want to on any issue. And that's exactly what progressive Christianity does. This is why J. Gresham Machen, in his classic book on theological liberalism, uh, Christianity and liberalism, in 1920, he wrote this book. He said that progressive Christianity is another religion. You know, there, there in the emergent church in 2006, Brian McLaren, he, he issued a moratorium on homosexuality. He was a leader in this movement. And now you fast forward just a few years ago. Uh, I've been reading this, getting more familiar again with this movement. Uh, now he's enfolded in the progressive Christian movement. Um, but after his moratorium, his five-year moratorium around 2011, uh, guess what? They told people, take five years off from talking about this. He came out in full support of it. You have, you have Rob Bell, who openly supports the idea and says that we need to embrace gay people. We need to compromise on the truth. Um, friends, we have a problem. You know, some people may not understand this, but the, the point is you had Brian McLaren, who was a leader in the emerging church. You have Rob Bell, who, who even has discipled Aaron Rodgers, arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, don't you think Aaron Rodgers has a little bit of influence, right? You know, when he speaks, people listen. And he talks about faith and his doubts and struggles all the time. Guess what? That, that sends a message to people, you know? They get it. They get it. And, and what people want is Second Timothy, what Second Timothy 4 talks about, a tickling of the ears. They want a little tickle of their ears. They want, a, they want a little nice truth that makes them feel good. That's what makes Joel Osteen and, you know, television preachers, uh, but makes them so, you know, frankly, easy to hear. In fact, there was one, it, it always has amazed me how popular just on that subject Joel Osteen is. But what amazes me is that, you know, there was actually a reporter and she was an atheist and she went to Joel Osteen's church and she came away and what she reported was astonishing to me because I, I cannot listen to Joel Osteen. I mean, I cannot listen to Joel Osteen preach. I can't because it's not even preaching. So, but what, he, what, what she said was is that she went away, you know, encouraged. Here's an atheist, an atheist from CNN went to Olstein's church to write a report to report on 
Joel Osteen, and here you had an atheist saying nice things about Joel Osteen. That should never be the case for any Christian. What, what, what the atheist should hear is about their sin, and they should hear about the Savior. They should, they should come away knowing that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and they should come away feeling that they were welcomed and they were valued in the church service and that, you know, hey, come back. We'd love to walk alongside of you, answer any questions you have about the Bible. And so, but, but they should not be embraced in their sin. That's compromise. That's compromise. And, and the reason I point that out, by the way, isn't to pick on Joel Olstein. The, the point that I'm making is larger than Joel Olstein. What's happening in the church today, by and large, and the reason that you have people leaving mainline denominations is because people get it. People aren't dumb. When you deny the Bible, when you stop preaching from the Bible, people start going away. This is why you've seen so many mainline denominations go almost all the way away. We might see them mostly go away because they have drifted away from the authority of the Bible. And you have seen ministries blow up in the kindness and the providence of God because they are faithful to the Word of God that that uh, that's, that means that God, by His Spirit, uses to bring sinners to salvation, to grow them in grace, and to build up the church and to make disciples who make disciples of the nation. And that's what's so dangerous. That's what's so dangerous about progressive Christianity because instead of standing on the authoritative word of God, instead they're standing on their own authority. They're standing on their own authority. In fact, one of the, one of the biggest markers that you'll, you'll see out there is this, that the word love is, is one of the biggest changes you'll, you'll see with progressive Christianity, Christians and whatnot. And, uh, with how they define it versus Christians that are biblically rooted. Uh, Young described it in this podcast. A big one is love. If we allow a 21st definition of love to be imported back into the historic biblical Christianity, we may end up with something quite different from what Scripture means. Love in the Bible means putting the, the needs of others first, but love in the 21st century thought means accepting or embracing whatever a person wants you to accept and embrace. That's not biblical love. Also, what's interesting, if we go back into the emerging church movement, you, you saw what you saw a guy right named Steve Chalk. He he came up with a view of cosmic child abuse, which by the way, Brian McLaren took and he popularized in a book. And and what this does is it critiqued the penal substitutionary view of salvation that Christ died in our place and for our sin. And they and they say that that is, you know, cosmic child abuse that that how could how could God be like this? Well, it actually goes to a larger that goes even to a larger conversation that we could have uh about God and and being just and loving and wrathful. And and the whole reason that Jesus came into the world we could say in the, in the incarnation of what the church has said about that is that Jesus came into the world under the sentence of death to pay the penalty that we justly deserve. That, that is that the primary purpose 
of the incarnation was for Christ to die and for Christ to rise. And so you can't have the gospel only with love. If you minimize the, the, the wrath of God, you minimize the gospel. Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of our Father in heaven. And we need that. We need that. In fact, you, you can't even look at the first three books, the first three chapters, excuse me, of Romans. The first three chapters of Romans. Romans 1, Romans 2, and Romans 3 without seeing the fact that very clearly we are sinners by nature and by choice. You cannot read uh, Psalm 51 or other Psalms without coming away and having a good understanding. And then, and then you, you can't go to 1 uh, John 4 where God is love. Well, that, was, that even is in, in an interesting book because John contrasts light with darkness. Those who are living in the darkness don't belong to the light. Uh, and so even in, even in the context of 1 John where God is love, th- there are those who are living in darkness and there are those who are living in the light. And so even the love of God given to us is only because of Christ. That's my point. And so the only way to know the lo- a loving God is to also know and to be certain that God is a he is a wrathful God, and he satisfied his wrath on the cross when Christ and when Christ said in John 19:30, "It is finished, it was signed, it was sealed, and it was delivered because of Christ." And that's that's really what's so dangerous, friends, about the idea that you know, you know, um, the idea that you know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether what we think about love. It absolutely matters because. We're living in a time when everybody thinks it's loving to, to not say the, the truth. Oh, after all, don't you know that we're living in a time, friends, of Matthew 7, 1 through 2. So don't judge. But you know what's interesting? What this does is it totally undermines 1 Corinthians 5. It undercuts the very purpose of church discipline. Uh, not only that, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, we are commanded, commanded. To test all things and to hold fast was good. So we have to engage not in judging the person or in a hypocritical judgment, which is what Jesus forbade in Matthew 7, 1 through 2, but we have to engage in what John MacArthur calls uh, doctrinal discernment. We have to be able to discern between what is true and what is not true. We have to reject, as Paul said, what what is true. Uh, no, we have to accept what is true in the Bible and reject what is false and this is why we reject the, the idea of progressive Christianity, because they have an unbiblical view of love. Now, in fact, this gets to really the, the heart of things, what I'm about to say. The way progressive Christians redefine the words in the Bible is detrimental to getting God's true word and meaning. Young says this, often progressives use biblical language, but they shift its meaning. The resurrection becomes a metaphor instead of a historic fact. Holiness becomes liturgy instead of sexual purity. And on and on. Same language, new meanings. That's that's intentional. That's intentional. It's to confuse you. Well, I, I thought I knew. It's to get you to think this way. Hey, I thought I knew what that word meant, but apparently I didn't. And so what that does is it is it confuses a person. And they're like, wait, I, I need to know a little bit more, or I haven't really understood what that what that means, and and those types of things, and and that is very disorienting to people. They're like, wait, I 
I I don't I don't really know what what it means that Christ died in my place and for my sin. Uh, so how can I even be a Christian? So so then that's what they do. They they play this little game. It's a psychological game. You don't really know what you what you believed was was actually really wrong, and uh, it wasn't true. And you know what? That is psychologically disoriented to people, um, and that's what that's what Young is getting at when he says that you know same language, new meaning. It can be confusing. Friends, let's be let's be clear about something. On this show, you will never be confused if you are ever confused about something that I say, and it's not clear, please do me a kindness. Email me, davidservantsofgrace.org. Include, if you can, include the time of, of what I, where what I said. I, I, would, I would rather clarify my meaning, come on and do another episode and clarify what I meant by what I said than, than for you to walk away or for anybody in the future to ever be confused. Um, then, then now maybe, maybe you misunderstood. So we need to ask in that kind of case, we need to ask some clarifying questions if you, if you haven't understood, but, but this whole idea, same language, new meanings. Well, the thing is, is that the Bible has a meaning when it uses words like justification. It means to be not guilty. It means to not be guilty. Uh, propitiation. It means that Christ took upon himself the wrath of God. Expiation, it means that our sins have been removed as far as the east is to the west. That means that our sin in the sight of God is no more at the moment of our conversion. When we confess our sin, that's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. These words have meaning and they mean something and the church has defined what these things mean for us so we don't have to make it up. We don't have to play pretend. Plus, now we have Bible dictionaries, we have commentaries, we have tons and tons of help. You do not have to be confused. You do not have to be led astray by these false teachers in progressive Christianity who want you to doubt the Bible and to doubt the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. You know, many also criticize how political the progressive church, Christian church can be. Uh, during a study by George Yancey, he found that progressive Christians tend to, to put politics over theology. And so political concerns to them are more important, which is similar to the liberal atheist belief. A progressive Christian's dedication to liberal causes buys them safety from, from feeling any anti-Christian bigotry from the left, as that's typically only pointed out uh, toward, pointed towards evangelicals and conservatives. Now, they are more likely to ignore what the Bible says, and put what they think first above the Bible. You might hear a quote-unquote progressive Christian say this, we don't need to preach the gospel, we only need to show love through our actions and by helping the oppressed. This again, it takes away from the core belief that Jesus paid the penalty in our place and for our sins and rose again on the third day so we could go to heaven. We are to share out God's word with all who listen as as Young puts it, progressive Christians tend to focus on social justice to the exclusion of the gospel. The gospel is not about God making paradise of the world, but God raising us into the new heavens and new earth. When social justice replaces the gospel, you won't get the gospel. You also aren't going to get justice. That means that we have to focus on the justice of God, and we have to help people understand 
what is that that's what made Vody Bakum's book on us uh, the 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 dangers of CRT and intersectionality and and more and Owen Strand's book on wokeness so helpful because they clarified these things they helped us to understand that this is a danger this is a threat to the gospel that message still needs to be heard today it does progressive christianity at its core may not and being charitable here may not be trying to do harm to the world they are, but they aren't using God's word the way that he intended. In fact, progressive Christianity steers us away from analyzing the Bible and Christian theology and instead replaces it with fluff. You need to make sure that you are at a church, and we've talked about this many times, where God's word is being preached verse by verse, line by line, and you are being pointed to Christ and where you can be loved and cared for and fellowship with people because the opposite of this is... Progressive Christian and Christians, they rewrite the scriptures and change words in the Bible to support their new doctrines that cater to their flesh and affirm their agenda. In 1946, some progressive Christian Bible scholars added the word homosexuality into the text of 1 Corinthians 6 9, simply because they wanted the Bible to say something it did not say previously. This change was not the result of a new textual insight, nor was it due to a better understanding of the, of the Greek of that passage. Far from it. The change was political, and it advanced an agenda that specifically altered the, the Scripture to say something it never meant before. But that's not all. In fact, progressive Christians have gone on to rewrite the gospel of Jesus based on a doctrine that, that wasn't put to paper until the 1500s. Rather than allow the original gospel message of Jesus found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for example, to be preached as a good news, they substituted raw, radical new ideas and called this the gospel instead. This effectively silenced Jesus and elevated the teaching of John Calvin above the message delivered to us by the very Son of God almost 2,000 years ago. Now, there's nothing wrong with what John Calvin taught. As a Reformed Christian, I firmly believe I, I, I think that John Calvin is extremely helpful, and he's had an incredible, an incredible impact on the history of not only Christianity, but Western civilization. I mean, you look at how many people he corresponded with, pastors, political leaders, and on and on and on. He made a massive impact, but Calvin wanted us as a pat. he was a pastor first, and he wanted people to get into the Bible. He didn't want us to put him above the Bible. He wanted us to use his teaching to get to dig further into God's word, to study what it means and why it matters for ourselves. I mean, my goodness, he, that's that would be what he wanted. That would be why he preached the sermons he did and why he labored so much, so much. I mean, he preached multiple times a week, multiple times a week, and wrote hundreds of thousands of letters. In, in this new gospel, we'll call it, of the progressive Christians, the beautiful message of John 3.16 has been twisted to suggest God so hated the world that he sent his only son to be tortured and killed so we could be loved and forgiven. That's something Jesus never preached or taught anyone else to teach. And in case you're unclear, maybe you're new to this podcast, I am not a progressive Christian. Because progressive Christianity places myself at the center this is the problem with self-love and self-religion. I don't need to love myself. As a sinner by nature and by choice, I already love myself. I, I want myself to be at the center. 
But what I need is to Christ to be at the center. I need to be pointed to Christ. I need to be reminded of Christ. I need to repent, and I need to trust Christ. We don't need new ideas. There's, uh, in fact, Solomon was right. In Ecclesiastes, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Men hate God, and they deny his word, and they reject the authority of Scripture. So what progressive Christianity does, they want to redefine the Bible. They, want, they view biblical Christianity as toxic, but we need, to, we need to mark and avoid it. We need to understand what it is, and we need to avoid it, we need to, and we need to warn other people because especially people in, even, even, people in even biblically rooted and faithful churches that preach the word, they need to understand what to look for uh, so that they can avoid it. They can avoid it. And so we need to be, when we see brothers or sisters drifting down this way, sharing perhaps progressive teachers or engaging in the Enneagram, we need to warn them in love, say, hey, brother, hey, sister, this is, this is really dangerous. Uh, can I give you some resources that you can look at? Would you be willing to look at uh, this? But this is, this is uh, not only uh, an issue in our, in our day, but we need to understand how to uh, deal with on a radio on a national broadcast I was asked this question I'm not I don't think that we quite got to it but it was a question that the host wanted to ask me and I, I saved it because it was a really uh, good question and I prepared uh, for it uh, but we didn't get to it unfortunately but the question was the current uh, the, the, the statement was the current state of the American church and how the average believer can encourage or confront their pastor to teach the authority and the whole counsel of God in Scripture. You see, whether it's, I want to be clear about something, whether it's the pastor or the Christian, the lay Christian, we all, we all, every single one of us, myself included here, we need to go back, we need to read, we need to study, we need to meditate, we need to memorize, we need to apply the Bible. We need, we need to see our need for the corporate reading of God's Word, what an expository sermon is, how to listen to one, the marks of a good expository sermon, doing life with one another, and more. And we also need to equip people to understand their unbiblical modes of interpretation and that not all have the same aim and idea as in biblical interpretation. And we need to have a good understanding of church history. The church has good answers to the questions and the issues being raised today, both inside and outside the church. The matter of confronting a pastor is one that needs to be handled with sensitivity, and it needs to be handled with wisdom. Maybe you, maybe you can suggest that they read a book or hand them a book and say, hey, I found this book to be helpful. Would you consider reading it? Pastors and ministry leaders, they love books, myself included, by the way. You would never know that, though, if you followed me on social media. And that, that was really uh, being sarcastic here. But truthfully, you know, I do love to read. Above that, though, having a conversation and expressing appreciation for what you value about your pastor's teaching, I would say, would be a good step. They, they work hard. You may not agree with everything that they teach, but think of how you would want to be approached in your own work. Try to find some way to be encouraging. Then take that approach with your pastor. Remember, your pastor has to deal with a lot of people, and they spend a lot of time on their sermon. I can tell you as somebody who does pulpit supply, as somebody who's been in ministry a long time, studying and preparing to put out content all the time. It requires a lot of work in the text, 
It requires and a lot of time and a lot of thought. And to be immediately dismissed is, is hurtful. Uh, try as hard as you can, please, to be encouraging, even if it's just a minor point. Then I would say, rather than dumping your laundry list of points that you have, your bullet point list, maybe share, get some wisdom, get some help from other people, find out what is the main concern that you have, the one major concern that you have to start off with, and then share that. And I think the first thing to do is to do what I'm saying, to give them good books to read and start a conversation. Try to be encouraging. We're, we're not, the, the whole point of this episode is we're not to compromise. But but we have to avoid the opposite danger. We're just just telling the truth. Well, Paul commands us to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4.15, we're, we're to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, remember the, the fruits of the Spirit that God's producing in us. So, uh, that, that And those are commands. Those are things that through the means of the word, God, the Holy Spirit is producing on us. So we have to be mindful of that. Try to be encouraging. Try to be truthful. So getting feedback on preaching can be hard for many pastors. <laughs> can I just be honest with you? I say that as a preacher. You know, when I, when I do pulpit supply, I, I'm like, oh boy, I know that when we're driving home, I know that I'm going to hear about it from my wife. And she has said, I just appreciate that you just sit there and listen, you know, and, and, and I'll say for my wife's sake, she's not rude. She's not mean about it. Most of the time she has very helpful thoughts and she just wants to expand those thoughts that I made and, and, and has more thoughts to share and, and those that, and I appreciate that. Okay. But it's still hard to hear any sort of criticism as a, as a preacher. Okay. It can be devastating. It can be hard, but I would just say to pastors and those who do pulpit supply, those who preach and teach, if people come to you and they're aiming to be helpful and they're aiming to be loving and encouraging, but they want to give you feedback, don't immediately discredit them. Don't immediately ignore them. Don't just say, oh, well, that person is just overly critical and that they're going to be overly... You know what? You have even something to, to learn from them, even if they don't communicate it in love. You still you still need to, to, to deal with it in the right way. You're, you're called by God to be an example to the flock. Let's be an example. And plus, as, as one of my mentors used to say, those kind of people, they're sandpaper people. And what he meant is they rub against us. Oh, man, they're buffing you up, man. They, they're making you look, they're making you shine. You know, that's, that's a good thing. I, I could tell you so many stories of guys that I've dealt with. Oh, you know what? Or such a, whoo, you know, they're, they're, I, I, oh Yeah. And I have to remember, I got to be praying for that person. And you know what? Because God's going to use them in my life, you know, in a pretty profound way. He's used a lot of those those guys uh, pretty powerfully in my life to address. And they didn't even know it. Here they are. They're just doing life. You know what? God's using those people in our lives. Don't immediately discredit that person. Don't cast them aside because they're difficult. You know what? They they have issues. Yes. But God, God wants to deal you, God's using those people in your life to reveal sin in your own heart that that still yet remains. And that's a good thing. And, and take that so, so seriously. Do not just pass that off. So don't, don't, dear pastor, dear Bible teacher, dear ministry leader, don't discredit the person who isn't loving in their approach. I, I can tell you, having had this done to me uh, many times, it really, really hurts because it's really hard. 
It's really hard to go to your pastor and say, and I have had to do this. It's really hard to go to your pastor and say, hey, um, I'm having an issue with the, the, you know, our interaction and this specific thing and being told, you know what? I'm not going to accept your criticism and here's why, because da, 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 um, in your life. And, and that's just not the right way. That, that's, not, that's not a way any kind of pastor or Christian leader is ever taught to behave or anything like that. Now, with that said, after they give the criticism, after you've taken it in, you've thanked them, and so on and so forth, the right way to do that is, is to thank them. Thank you for taking the time to share. Listen. Listen and pray. Ask the Lord as you're listening for self-control. Uh, one of the things Mike used to tell me on this was, uh, my, well, my mentor, pray and ask the Lord to help you to see them through with his eyes. The good shepherd loves his sheep. He loves his sheep. He, he's willing to go, John 10 says, after the one lost sheep. Uh, so, you know what? We can certainly sit there and listen if somebody has a criticism. Because you know what? Any criticism, it shouldn't devastate us. Uh, it shouldn't. Everything that happens in this the, it, it, to us or is said about us, that's the worst thing that's going to be said about us forever or, or at the moment. The, the eternity is still going to be a place of unending, uninterrupted communion and fellowship with God and with his people. So whatever happens, whatever tribulation, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty happens in this life, guess what? That's the worst that's going to happen to me. Are you kidding me? And that, that helps me. That teaching has helped me so much over the years just to not be devastated by criticism. And it also helps me to come back and say, hey, I don't have to agree with this person, but I do need to hear them. I do need to pray about it. I do need to, you know, consider what they said. And in fact, later you can go to them and have that conversation after you prayed about it, thought about it, dealt with it, confessed your sin to the Lord if there's any, uh, and you can correct them later. But as you do, take the posture of humility. Thank them for the time. Remember the fruits of the Spirit and showing godly character. It really matters. It really matters to be kind with people. Kindness, remember, is a fruit of the Spirit. Loving and caring for people truly do matter with the truth. So please listen. But I also say this to pastors and ministry leaders. At times, you're going to have to say something. You're going to have to say something, uh, whether you're a pastor or a church member. By taking a biblical and a relational approach with your pastor and being intentional and purposeful, you're going to gain a real hearing. If you're if you're going to go in guns blazing and boom, 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 and I just dropped the mic drop to mic, to end all mic drops, and you went in gun blazing to thump your pastor and to score points, um, I'm going to be honest with you. You you should you would be better served to sit down, to pray, to repent, to read and study the word of. Your pastor doesn't need it, but more than that, you don't need that. You don't. We should always pray. We should always take the log out of our own eye. We should always get godly, lots of godly counsel on these types of situations, especially about approaching our, our pastor, about his teaching, about his counseling of us, and so on and so forth. But after you've done that, and you do, Talk to your pastor about your concerns, but make sure that it's biblical. Make sure that it's encouraging. Make sure that it's helpful. And you know what? That's the goal. We are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 29 tells us, in fact, that we're, we're supposed to speak edifying and encouraging one, words to one another. And there are so many biblical passages that tell us about this. Well, guys, 
we have gone once again much longer than I intended for this episode. So I'm going to just say one thing. Please keep staying in your Bibles. Keep reading them. Keep studying them. Keep meditating on the Word. Keep doing life with God's people. Keep going to your local church. And keep growing. Keep growing in the Word. Keep growing in your love and your affection for your Savior and King Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. I hope that it's been helpful. And uh, I know I haven't addressed everything, as, as I always say, but I hope what has been said has been helpful for your life and godliness in Christ revealed in the Word of God. So thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.